it's a incredible day to be outside worshiping. This is so good. And it's a good day. We we celebrate that our kids, our children are growing in their faith, moving on. We're, you know, uh, celebrate the graduates from high school. And we, you know, if, if you graduated from college, we also listed names there. You know, we, we just want to celebrate with you today. Um, just a note, we you know, we, this is the last day of the Sunday school program. Junior church does continue through the whole summer and then we'll restart everything back up in, in September again. I want to ask a question. Who has read either for themselves or maybe read to their children, the Narnia books? Just get a sense of that. Excellent. Excellent. At, and when we're thinking about how to encourage our kids in their faith, the, the, the C.S. Lewis books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe being the, the preeminent one, but he has a whole list of books from Narn, uh, the Narnia books. They made movies out of them. And those are great things to read to your kids. At East Glenville, we want to help you build up your, your family in their, their knowledge and growth in Christ. And so I would just encourage that. And there's a line from one of those Narnia books that I want to I want to share, I think that captures what I want to get across, or at least an aspect of it this morning that comes out of our passage. And that line is, Aslan is on the move. If you know the books, you know what that, that means. It's Aslan is the the lion in Narnia that that is Jesus. It's re- he represents the the Christ in that world. And at one point, when the world the nar- world of Narnia is under darkness and and under the rule of a, a, a the evil queen, uh, Aslan comes back. He returns, and he is at work to 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 bring his his kingdom rule back to Narnia again. And it's this idea that, you know, Aslan is at work to restore the kingdom, to restore the, the good rule of God to that world. And the same idea, Jesus is the one, he's bringing his kingdom to, to this world. And what we're going to talk about today is, is the advance of the gospel. That Jesus, as the kingdom grows... How does it grow? It grows because people hear the good news of the kingdom of God, the good, the good message about Jesus Christ. They believe it, they receive it, and they receive the rule of God in their own lives. That's how God's kingdom expands. And that kingdom is, is at work now. So the two ideas I want, I want to bring across this morning. I want you to know that the gospel is on the advance, despite opposition within the world. And secondly, I want you to be confident that the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, has the real power to change lives. Those are the things I want to get across. There's an idea out there. It's it's called the secularization thesis, if you want to give it a fancy name. And it's simply this. It's the idea that belief in God or religion in general is in terminal decline in our world, especially in the West. Right? It's the idea that, that slowly people are going to get less and less 
religious, that belief in God is going to shrink. And sometimes we see evidence of that and we, we think we're on, on the decline overall. So let me describe this. I'm looking at a book called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. I just picked up this book this week and I'm, I'm loving it. It's by Rebecca McLaughlin and it's just really simple answers to the questions that are out there right now. So I'd actually encourage adults to read it, um, but also to give one to your, your teenagers. But she says this, says, when I was growing up, expert predict, experts predicted that as the world became more modern, more educated, and more scientific, religious belief would naturally decline. So that's the secularization theory encapsulated. That as we get, you know, as we get more modern, right? Oh, that religion is that thing in the past, right? Belief in God is, oh, those silly people long ago, they believed in God. As we get more educated, oh, we're so, we're smart enough now to know that we don't need to believe in God. We, we, we're, we're, we figured out all the things, how things work in this world, and God doesn't need to fit into that. Or more scientific, as we, we think that you know, science has answered all the tough questions, well, that just pushes God to the margins. That's the secularization idea. But Rebecca says, but they were wrong. And she goes on to outline how even though in certain areas like Europe and, and America, the number of people believe in God has decreased, but in the rest of the world, belief in God is on the increase. More and more people are coming to believe that there is a God who created this world that's behind this universe. And... And more and more are saying they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, that are claiming, at, claiming the label of Christians. It says, by the time you're my age, the percentage of people in the world who say they don't believe in God is likely to go down, while the percentage of people who say they are Christians is likely to go up. In 1953, the, the communists took over the, the country of China, and Western missionaries, meaning England, U.S., had been sending missionaries to try to share Christianity with China for, for decades before that and worked really hard. And around the time of 1953, there were one million Chinese believers, as, they, as best as they were able to count. Pretty small out of a country. I don't know what their population was is was then, but now it's over a billion, right? So one million is that's a that's a point one percent. So a minuscule number. And then when the communists took over, what did they do? They kicked out the Western missionaries. They said, you know, they they thought nope that their idea was communism was the future. We don't need these these people preaching this message. And so they they kicked them out. And the assumption in here in America and that was well. I'll, I guess Christianity is just going to completely die out in China. There's, there's no way, you know, Christianity is going to grow if, if we aren't able to send our people there to, to preach it. <laughs> well, when they finally did start opening up China and they, they did start to let people back in, they saw that instead of dying out, Christianity has grown and even exploded throughout China. To 30 million, 60 million, and now 
many estimates are 100 million. Here's what, here's what Rebecca writes. It says, China is the largest country in the world. It is officially atheist, which means being sure that God doesn't exist. People in China can even be sent to prison for following Jesus. But the church in China is growing so fast that by 2025, there will likely be more Christians in China than in America. Wouldn't that be a hoot? To think, oh yeah, America, that's where Christianity lives, right? Eh, we'll see. But if there are more Christians in China, more believers in, in Jesus Christ there than there are here. God has a, an awesome sense of humor in how things play out in, in, in the world. And the gospel is on the advance. It's moving forward. Aslan is on the move within this world. We, we don't have to think, oh, because I've signed on to Christianity. I'm kind of on the wrong side of history. And I'm kind of in this dying faith, a little like, you know, the Jedis in the Star Wars universe. Oh, the, you know, how many, the, the Jedis are all wiped out at one point. You know, that is not what it is. We are, we are seeing the gospel move forward throughout the world. And I think it's advancing in the U.S. in its own way at, at, at different times. Another thing I read, we, we kind of think of America as well. It's always been this, this major Christian country. Truth be told, around the time of the revolution, Revolutionary War and the, uh, the writing of the Constitution, Christianity was, was way on the, the, the decline. I, I think it was like 10% of the population were attending church in that time frame. And then what happened? There was a great awakening. Actually, the second great awakening took place. And that, that renewed the, the gospel going forth in our, our, our land. So we take that for granted. But if it wasn't for that, it would have seemed even less Christian than, than, than we would talk about it being now. So it's important to understand the gospel is advancing. We're not a part of a dying faith, but, but, but more and more people throughout the world are believing in Jesus. And the second thing... I want you to grow in your confidence that if you're helping someone come to see the gospel, if you're sharing it, you're guiding a friend into putting their faith in Christ, that, that you are giving them something good, right? That this message has the power to change lives. We're often told by smart people, it's, you know, be better if religion faded, it's superstition and all this stuff. I want you to know that when someone connects with Jesus Christ, it is the greatest thing that can ever happen to them. And that if, if you're playing some role in that, that is a good thing. So I want you to grow in your confidence in your understanding of the gospel so that you could play that kind of part. That's what Paul is sharing with the Philippians. So last week, it was just the introduction, the, the introductory comments that Paul gives. And there he's expressing how he, he's, he's certain, he's confident that as the Philippians continue to walk with the Lord, that, they, that God will finish that work and they will continue to grow in their, their love for God. This week now, Paul, in this 12 to 18, he's sharing what's happening in his ministry and what's happening with him. And we learned some interesting things that are going on with Paul as he shares this. And I see four unexpected things that come out of this passage. So in verses 12, 
Uh, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What, what happened to him? Well, Paul was arrested. And he, he was not only arrested, he has been sent to Rome under guard. Now, he's not likely, it says in prison, he's not likely in a prison cell. Uh, scholars believe he's under house arrest, possibly chained to a Roman soldier who's keeping watch over him while he awaits a hearing before Caesar. So he's under guard, he's in chains, and you would think, well, that's not good. That's going to hinder the work of the gospel. Because there was no greater worker for spreading the faith than, than the Apostle Paul. And like, well, if he can't go from city to city, how is the message going to continue to advance? <laughs> and Paul says, oh, let me tell you, right? It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, what he, he calls the praetoria, um, to all, uh, that I have been imprisoned for Jesus Christ. So, so these soldiers are stuck right next to Paul and listening to him and he gets a chance to share with them. And he's, he's, you know, like they're wondering why is this guy under guard? Is he really that dangerous? This, this, he wasn't, he's kind of a smaller guy. He wasn't a rebel. He wasn't, he didn't, he didn't have, you know, take up armies. Why is this guy in so much trouble? And he was able to talk about why, um, and as he's talking about, he's sharing the message of Jesus and the word is spreading. So we don't know how they responded, but we know it says the whole guard had the chance to hear the gospel message. It was advancing into new places. And, and that at the end of the letter, we'll get to this later, it says that there, it says, it, Paul gives greetings from those within Caesar's household. So there are now believers within the household of Caesar. Do you know what Caesar it's talking about, by the way? Nero. Oh, he's going to go bad yet. This is, this is actually before Nero goes too crazy. Um, so there's reason to hope. But at this point, you know, he sees people coming to faith. Now, ironically, Paul had wanted to bring the gospel and go preach in Rome. And in his letter to... To the, to the city of Rome before he got there, he says, it has been my desire to, to eagerly come and to see you and visit you and, and, and teach and talk with you. And so he's finally got there, but it wasn't the way he expected. And, and instead of going there on his own, he was taken there, uh, paid for by the Roman, uh, Roman soldiers, right? Pa Paul could not control his movements because he was under guard, but that doesn't mean the Lord wasn't in control. The Lord sent him right where he wanted them, right where he wanted his servant, right in Rome to preach the word. You know, sometimes we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? What are we praying when we pray that? You know, on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that God is bringing his kingdom to earth. Right? We're, we're on board with what Paul's doing in that we want to see people respond to the gospel message and accept his kingdom rule in his lives. His will be done, that his message would go forth and people would be invited to hear. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're saying, God, help me be a part of what you're doing in this world. How might God open up surprising gospel opportunities in your life.
I mean, it probably won't be that he'll send you to prison in Rome, but who knows? Wherever he sends you, right? What, how could that be an opportunity that the gospel had advanced to a new place? So that's the first surprising thing. Second surprising thing comes in verse 14. And he says, Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's imprisonment has emboldened Christians to share the good news of, of Christ there in Rome. I mean, you'd think it would go the other way. Like, ooh, you mean you could be arrested for talking about Jesus? I think I'm going to hold off, right? I'm going to be a little more careful. But instead, out of solidarity with Paul, they actually got more bold in, in being able to say that maybe that maybe it opened up opportunities to say, you know, th- this guy, Paul, he's, he's under guard. He's waiting to see Caesar. Let me tell you what, what he's about. And that gave them an, an opening to, to do it. Or you know, maybe they just saw his example and said, if Paul can stand strong and risk his life for Jesus... So can I. We gather at church because we need to. Right? We need to gather with one another because there are times it feels like we are swimming against the stream. And my guess is you often feel that way out, out at work or in school. You, you see, you, you feel like everyone else is going the other way. And when you're standing for Jesus Christ, it feels risky, it feels alienating. Um, it feels like you're, you're on the margins. Here's where we can help each other be bold. We need to encourage one another in, in seeing those gospel opportunities where, where God has us there. When it feels like we're su- swimming against the stream, we need to gain courage from one another. That's why it's important we keep gathering to worship and fellowship and share stories. If God is, is giving you a chance to talk with maybe a non-believer and you, you get an opening, include a fellow believer in that conversation. Like, hey, let me tell you, I had this conversation. How do you think I could respond to this person? Right? Let's share with one another the stories because we need to encourage one another. So it talks about them being bold in share, speaking the word. Let me talk just a minute about the methods because boldness does not necessarily mean Um, aggressive or obnoxious. Colossians 4 talks about how we are to, to the method that we're to bring to the gospel. And it's, it's, it says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, towards those on the outside of the faith. Make the most of every opportunity. There's boldness, right? Make the most of every opportunity, but walk in wisdom, right? Know the culture that you live in. Know what's appropriate and what might work and what can, can give us a good opening without turning people away. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So also other places to talk about, do, do this with gentleness and respect. So walk in wisdom. That's, that's the, the, the guide on the method by which we share, uh, we see the gospel advance. The next part talks about motives. And here's the, here's the surprising aspect of this. This is the third one. God can use imperfect messengers to send forth the word of life. At the, 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 the Christian ed 
thing we did that beforehand that the middle schoolers shared what they learned this year. And one of them talked about how God uses imperfect people. And, and here's the thing. Paul is talking about how some were sharing the faith out of goodwill and love, right? They were on Paul's team. They, they appreciated Paul and they were motivated by his example to share. But then it says others were actually motivated by envy and rivalry, now, I don't know exactly what that's about, but it seems that, that some saw Paul being, you know, locked up in prison, you know, under guard, gave them opportunity to spread their brand. There were divisions in the, the church even back then. He's talking about real Christians. They're sharing the gospel, but their motives were not great. But God was using them anyways. And and this, here's a quote from uh, Bible scholar Ben Witherington. It says, this suggests that the proclamation of the true word does not require a perfect messenger. That God can use us even when we, we are not perfect in our motives or our, how, how much we have it down. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of of God for salvation to those who believe, to the Jew and to the Gentile. So what is the power? It's not the messenger. It's the message. The gospel has the power to change lives. And and God can use the message even when the messenger is not always great. Right? It's a I know what holds us back is we think I, I don't know I don't know if I'll do it right. I'm afraid to try to share my faith in Christ with someone else because I don't know if I'll say it right or I don't know, I don't know if my, my motives are perfect. I don't know, like we're, we're always kind of, all of us have, are an imperfect mess of things. Um, you know, it's important that Christians don't think I can't have an impact as a witness for Christ because I have unresolved issues in my life. We all have unresolved issues in our life. Nevertheless, we can bear witness to the amazing goodness and grace of God, even as we struggle in our own discipleship. In fact, I would suggest, if we're not willing to stand up for Christ in our relationships, we, we probably won't grow as a disciple. If we're not willing to risk a little bit, to let that fear, to overcome that fear and, and share with wisdom, then, then I don't know if we're going to keep growing, we're, you know, because that's an essential part of our f- learning to follow Christ ourselves. So don't wait until we've been made perfect. Don't wait until you know how to answer every Bible question before you take the risk of telling others about the Savior. I've come to the conclusion that there, um, well, on the side, the other thing we worry about is, well, there's a lot of bad Christianity out there. Right, we 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 we've seen failures within the church and misdeeds of believers, or um, weird teachings that come up in the world that are by Christians in the world. And and here's what I've been thinking about. I've come to this conclusion: there are those that will use the failures and misdeeds of Christians as their technique to avoid the truth of God's word. Right? We know that sometimes you try to share the faith. They say, well, what about this group? Or what about this believer? Or what about this pastor who did this? 
man, that makes it hard. And I wish we didn't give so many, so many reasons for people to crit- criticize Christianity. But remember this. It is the gospel message that we are sinners and have found grace through the Son of God. That is what has the power. The power is based on the message, not just the messengers. Now I talked about the method. Let me talk about the motive. Our motive does matter. You know, it, it, God can use us even if our motives are mixed, but, but our motive does matter. And what, in what way should we share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Humility. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. I believe one of the things that adds power to the message is a servant attitude. Is humility. If we come in pride and as a know-it-all, I see that turning people off more than drawing people in. But if we come as a servant, willing to listen and care, or willing to to try to meet needs out there, I, I am thrilled. We had we had a group last Sunday who went and and gathered up food for the hungry and went down into Schenectady and was a part of 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 feeding the hungry. I think that's great. That's what we're called to do. We come as servants. We will never be perfect. But what we, we, what we do, what we do matters in how our message is received. So we are called to come as servants as best we can. The fourth point. Like Paul, we can rejoice to see the gospel advance even if it is not by our group. So remember, Paul said there were some out there who were uh, preaching the gospel with wrong motives, right? They were rivals to Paul. They were not a part of his, his team. And then he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether, whether falsely or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. Right? Paul's rejoicing that his rivals, you know, this other Christian group or whatever, were preaching the gospel even if they weren't doing it the way Paul thought they should do it. And I think we could do the same. Uh, for Paul, it was more important that people were finding Jesus than he was the one doing it all or in charge of it all. And like Paul, our calling is to make the loyalty to his kingdom first. His kingdom, not ours. We're not about building our own kingdom. Of course, we want to see our church grow. We want to walk in faithfulness and, and do as best we can. But we seek the kingdom first. And we are going to rejoice if another church over there is, is sharing the gospel and people are coming to, coming to faith in Christ. We're going to rejoice if there's a parachurch ministry that, that is taking the gospel and advancing to new places we could never get. In fact, we want to support that where we can. I, I worked for a parachurch for a year's young life, and that's, and there, but there's lots of them, uh, you know, City Mission and Street Soldiers and Youth for Christ and Young Life. They are trying to take the, the good news of Jesus to places that a church congregation isn't as well equipped to go. And we, we are excited to see them do that. And at times we can, we can ponder them. 
But what about if they do it they don't do it the way we think they should? What about if they maybe they teach the gospel but they also have other beliefs that we don't agree with? Romans 14:4 Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. And if someone is coming to faith in Jesus and maybe they're also getting some what we would consider wrong teachings, we can trust that God will sort that out in the end. We don't have to be too worried about it. We, we will teach as God leads us to teach. Um, but we can also be glad when the gospel goes forth in other ways. Uh, let me give you an example, just to be vague. Um, back where I came from uh, in Zanesville, Ohio, there was a they called it the Rushing Winds Church. And it was a church for bikers, motorcyclists. And it was right off the highway. I love it. Right? They, I mean, if I-70 was like the main thing through Ohio. And truckers would go by all the time. And they had this big old sign. And you would see motorcycles. On Sunday morning, you'd see all these motorcycles out front of this church building. Now, that's not the way I would do it. I don't ride motorcycles um, that you know, but I am thrilled that there are, there's one church that's taken extra effort to try to reach people that might otherwise not come into a church um, building, right? We can celebrate the, the spread of the gospel. You know, it might even be possible that God would build a church that's really um, amenable to, to engineers coming. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go too far with that idea, but I think it's possible Mere Christianity, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, it's, it's a, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. What it is, it's the truths that, that believers in Christ hold that are the core truths that generally Christians throughout the ages have held, even though, you know, in different denominations, right? We have mere Christianity, we have the core, the things, and then there's other ideas, I think if someone holds to the mere Christianity, holds to the gospel teaching, we're able to work with them and not be too worried if their doctrine doesn't line up. Um, we can still work together in the mission of Christ. We have to be careful at times. But, but if they hold to mere Christianity, if they're preaching the gospel, we can work with them and rejoice with them as God leads us. I am going to just really briefly, I put on the, the blue handout. I'm going to kind of close things up. But five key elements of the gospel and the scriptures behind them. And so I was trying to think, what is the mere Christianity? What, is, what are those key tenets? And it's really hard to describe the gospel. It, the gospel is the story of Jesus bringing the kingdom of God, the good news of salvation, the forgiveness of sin. If I could just, these five... and. I would like you to maybe look at these, look at the scriptures later. But I think these, these, this understanding can help people of this world try to understand what is it we're about, what is it we're saying, right? The first one, we are created by God and owe to him both our obedience and our worship. We were made to, to be connected to God. I think people want to think their life is their own, but we didn't make our life. We've received it from God. God is not hiding from us, but we can know him. So that's the first point. The second point is we've all fallen short of God's standard, of his glory. 
And it's easy to see how others are wrong, but we can't see how we're wrong so often. And the people know this world is broken. And part of the gospel is helping them see that, that we are part of that brokenness ourselves. It's not just out there, it's within all of us. Um, the third part is because of sin, we face death and eternal separation from God. God will one day deal with the brokenness, the sin, the injustice of this world. Our world knows injustice is bad, right? They know this world needs to be dealt with. We could say God has a plan to deal with it. Um, and, and it's important that we, we understand that. How, and God has a, a plan to one day set the world right. But what would that mean? What would that look like? And then of the fourth point, of course, is our key thing we share all the time. Christ died for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can be forgiven and know him. Right? I, I think it helps to understand point number four if we have the first three. Right? If, you, if we start at point number four, sometimes people aren't ready to understand what, why that matters. And then lastly, we, by putting our faith in Jesus, we are accepted as children of God. We receive eternal life out of God's amazing grace. God is not looking to shut anyone out. He has opened the door to salvation. And we have the opportunity to invite people in in the name of Jesus Christ. So there are two things. As the worship team gathers, I'm supposed to give them some magic clue to know when, when I'm about done. Two things. Take heart. Aslan is on the move Let us rejoice together when we see the gospel going into new places, to new territory. And second, grow in your confidence of the gospel message. Read books, learn more, read the scriptures, seek understanding, so that that if, if someone comes up to you and said, please, sir, what must I do to be saved, right, that you can actually answer that question. Could you, if someone really wanted to to know what what it all meant, could you answer that If you can't, grow in your confidence. Learn more about it so that you're ready for when that time comes. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that that you have not abandoned this world, but that you are bringing your kingdom into this world. And day after day, more and more people are coming to put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you you would enable this church to be a part of that. And Father, give us the confidence within ourselves to know what that message is so that when the time is right, when you open the door, we're able to to introduce people to your son. We ask that this grace in Jesus name. Amen.